Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. Uh, and if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or uh, you can look there just in your, uh, in your bulletin to Proverbs 29. So, so language has this, uh, it, or language can be a very fascinating thing, right? That it's always morphing, uh, language is always changing. Uh, I mean, if you think about the, the quote, what we call hard sciences, you know, we have things like the laws of thermodynamics or like the law of gravity, uh, which n- never change, right? They've been the same since about the nanosecond uh, the Lord spoke the world and spoke the universe into existence. Uh, but in English, we have these, uh, quote, rules, kind of like the Oxford comma, Y'all know about the Oxford comma? You know, I, I grew up being penalized if I left the Oxford comma off. And now I'm told that that's not even a thing anymore, right? We just, just deleted that. Um, you know, on Facebook, it's a fun uh, debate that's going on. Do you do you two space or one space after a period? Um, who, who knows anymore? Um, but, you know, it's not just the rules of, of language that change over time. Even the definitions of the words change. Uh, you know, today, a bully is almost universally despised as someone who picks on others. We, nobody likes a bully. But in the 1500s, you know, wives or ladies, um, ladies, instead of them calling their husbands love or lovey, uh, you know, as Jerry would call Jean, um, back then, a lady might call their husband bully. Hey, bully. It was a term of endearment, really, back in the 1500s. Um, or, or the other way around, <laughs> men used to call their wives hussy, if you could even imagine that. Um, they used to call their wives hussy, which was a shorthand for housewife. Or it meant that you are, you are the mistress of the household. You are the hussy of the house. Um, I mean, like, if you call your wife that today, fool, man, not only are you being a bully, right, but, but uh, you're probably in the doghouse, right? Um, you know, today, prestigious means that you are honored, that you are elevated. Uh, but in the 1500s, prestigious meant trickery. It meant that you were about to be tricked. Uh, y'all may have seen the, I mean, somewhat recent movie, uh, not that recent, but The Prestige, right, about the two battling magicians, Uh, tricking each other. In the 1300s, being a nice person uh, meant that you were a foolish person. You did not want to be a nice person in the 1300s. Whereas being silly, being a silly person meant that you were innocent. You wanted to be a silly person. Uh, Back in the day, to be naughty didn't mean that you were immoral or promiscuous in any way, but rather it meant that you literally had naught, that you had nothing. It meant that you were poor, to be naughty. And so even the, the, the hymn that we sang this morning has, and has somewhat undergone a recent edit, and many of us know this. You know, the hymn originally was, How Sweet and Awful is the Place, right? And, and originally the word awful meant, it literally meant full of awe or full of awesomeness. 
Um, but of course, today, awful does not mean that anymore. Awful means horrible. It's the worst to be in church singing about this. And so uh, that worshipers wouldn't get the wrong idea, you know, the word was changed to better communicate the hymn writer Isaac Watts' original intention of writing it. Um, and so now we sing how sweet and awesome is the place. Uh, and then today in our tech age, look, this is stuff we all know, but you know, we're, we're currently in the middle of another big language change. Um, for instance, you know, for ages, a troll, if you recall someone a troll, like a troll was just either a dwarf or a giant from Scandinavian folklore. That's where the troll came from. But today, a troll is someone who enjoys just stirring up people online, right? They just love getting people's goats. Um, for the longest time, a catfish was just a freshwater bottom-dwelling fish that has whiskers and goes pretty well with hush puppies, right? Um, however, now a catfish uh, is someone who sets up a false profile on social media with the purpose of deceiving others, right? Uh, y'all remember, we talked about this several times, but remember the, the all-American linebacker Manti Teo, right, of Notre Dame, uh, he was uh, catfished into thinking that he had this beautiful girlfriend. He's always talking about his girlfriend. The only problem was she wasn't real. You know, it was a, I mean, it, the, the image of the girl was real, but it was taken from somebody else and, and posted online. Uh, he had been catfished. All right. And look, I know that some of you are, could possibly be thinking, all right, Richard, it's like Sunday morning. Uh, why are we talking about words? Uh, let's talk about the Bible, Okay. And to that, I say, exactly, okay? Because what if I told you that bullies, hussies, and trolls aren't the only words whose definitions have changed over time? Um, and, and without remembering that principle about language, um, that language has a tendency to morph, if without remembering that, we leave the door wide open to all sorts of misunderstandings and misreadings and abuses of Scripture, you know, one of the, the common questions that we get as, as Christians is, all right, if, if, if God's Word is the inspired and inerrant Word of God, then why do we need all these, trans, why, why do we need all these translations? Right? If He said it right the first time, why do we need all these translations? And the answer to that, of course, is yes, God's Word in the original manuscripts is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. But, as you all know this, like we don't speak Koine Greek. And most of us probably don't speak ancient Hebrew. And thus, most of us need a translation if we're going to know anything that, that God said. And so when the King James Version was finished, there were many in the church who said, finally, God's inspired word in the English language. And, and some churches you know, continue to believe that the King James is and should be the only English Bible that there is. But... Again, that's forgetting that though God's Word never changes, the definitions of English words do change, which means words that made sense and were just as plain as they, anybody would have gotten it, reading it in the King's English, don't always read the same today. And so thus, as language morphs, we need translations that clearly communicate God's original intent. And there may not be a greater example of this than our passage this morning from Proverbs 29, uh, as you see, it, it's a verse that many of us know. It's a verse that has been used to proof text capital campaigns in churches, to justify church growth movements. Uh, this is a verse that's been leveraged to come up with church vision statements, business vision statements, 
and even family or marriage vision statements. Like if you don't have a vision for your life and you don't put it up on the wall, does it even count, right? And so over the past decades, the, kind of the misuse of this verse has been used to change the way churches even think of pastors because instead of thinking of a pastor as a shepherd, the lead pastor needs to be a visionary leader. Rick Warren wrote, My imagination influences my aspiration. In other words, your dreams determine your destiny. To accomplish anything, you must first have a mission, a goal, a hope, a vision, because without vision, the people perish. Uh, Ken Godevinos said, All memorable achievements were brought about by leaders who had vision. He said, God uses vision to excite leaders because excited leaders get the most out of followers. And then here it is. He says, that is why Proverbs 29, 18 clearly states, where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, so Josh, this week, Josh sent me this coloring page, and I really hope this is a fake, but for some reason we looked, and it doesn't seem to be a fake. This is like a real thing. Um, but this is a coloring page that the kids uh, that in this church, they don't sit through big worship. They would go to little worship, and this is what they would learn in little worship. It's a coloring page. You color the lesson. Up at the top, it says, Unity, uh, we are united under the visionary. And then at the bottom, it says, Elevation Church is built on the vision God gave Pastor Stephen. We will protect our unity in supporting his vision. And then what you color, what the lesson is, is there's a picture of, I guess this is Pastor Steve, preaching to little kids. Um, that's, that's, so that's what you would, you would learn. Um, But we could go on and on, right? But, but the big players in the church growth movement have summarized that, that a leader who does not cast and follow vision leads their church towards destruction. That, that people, quote, perishing has been taken to mean that without clear vision, and we're all marching the same direction, that churches will lose members. Um, but, but here's the hiccup in that, and Tim Chalice noted the reason we have to call in housekeeping on this particular verse this summer. He noted that when it came to preaching on vision, and we're about to cast a vision for the church and all the programs that we're about to do, um, and, and all the stuff that I just mentioned, he said that people who never preach from the King James Version, nor would they recommend that for devotional reading, when it came to Proverbs 29 and the topic of vision, they all preached from the King James. And, and they only used half of the verse when they did, and as we read God's Word, uh, it'll become pretty clear um, what they were doing. Okay. So just one verse this morning, but from three different translations. This is God's Word, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The NIV. Where there is no revelation, People cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. That sounds a lot different, doesn't it, than the King, King James? Um, then the ESV, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. It says God's word verse this morning. You know, this is such a powerful verse that has been epically mishandled. And it's not really hard to see why, because I mean, just a very surface-level reading of the King James seems to give a nod towards having a vision for, of you know, a planned-out future. You know, it seems to give biblical warrant for all the visionary strategic planning tactics that have become so popular. Right? 
after all, as has been said, and we say this a lot too, that if you uh, plan to fail, uh, or if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. You need a plan, you need a vision, you need strategy. And yet, as true as some of those leadership principles may be, there's just one problem, is that that is not what this verse is about. Like, Like this verse isn't about future strategic planning for your church or for your business or for your family at all. And the word that's really causing all this trouble is the Hebrew word chazan, which in the Hebrew doesn't mean just just any old vision for life. Just get you a vision and go for it. Um, But it refers to a very specific type of vision, namely prophetic vision. You know, throughout the Bible, we find that God gave the prophet's visions you know, to inform and to sustain his people. And this is the, the vision of Daniel in Babylon, right? It's, it, it's Isaiah seeing the vision of the Lord in the temple and Isaiah being utterly undone in response. And then that vision, it, it affected and shaped the rest of Isaiah's life. It was lived out in light of that vision. You know, this is Paul, right, on his way to Damascus, being struck down by the risen Jesus. And it was that vision that informed his present and it changed his future um, because this once terrorist of the early church spent the rest of his life living and dying, proclaiming Christ is risen, that he is our hope of glory. You know, it's John on the island of of Patmos receiving this vision uh, while he's in, in this cave. And in this vision, we find that it is... Um, well, that cancer doesn't win in the end. That pain doesn't win. That miscarriages don't win. That brokenness, that Satan doesn't win. But in the end, we see that Christ wins. And all who are His have a beautiful future. And and all of those prophetic visions from Moses all the way to to John were, were recorded and preserved as God's divine revelation to His people. And as if that was not enough, Then the very revelation of God, the the Word of God in Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And his disciples, they recorded what he said and did. And so today we have the divine prophetic vision of God in the Scriptures. And by the Spirit, to receive the good news of salvation and to walk the Jesus way, we are told now, is the good life. Like That is the blessed life. And that's obvious with the reading, if you read the entire verse in the NIV or ESV, right? Which sort of begs the question, did, did the King James get it wrong? Well, no, uh, because 400 years ago, when they translated it, they, they nailed it. As Eric Bargerhuff notes, 400 years ago, everyone reading this would have understood that vision meant God's supernatural revelation, because that's what vision meant back then. But in our modern culture, vision has a whole lot of of definitions. And so to recover the clarity of God's original word, it was rendered differently in newer translations. All right. But but before we apply what this actually means, there's one other issue to work out. Uh, What does Solomon mean when he says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish? What, What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that churches will lose members because there are loads of churches that aren't gospel-centered that have plenty of members. Uh, It doesn't mean you'll die because you don't have a vision. Uh, It just means this, that without God's Word informing you, 
without seeing the world in gospel, through gospel lenses, then we cast off restraints, that, that we break loose from our only source of the truly good life. Uh, this is what Paul said in Romans, right? When people refuse God's way, then God gives the people over to their own thinking, over to their own desires. Uh, this is Judges, where people cast off restraints and they did what was right in their own eyes. And you really could argue that that is true today, um, you know, when, when everyone is pursuing their own truths and their own versions of the good life, and look, you don't yuck anyone's young. So to perish is to be what led Jesus to weep over Jerusalem. It's to be sheep without a shepherd. It's to wander aimlessly throughout life from, from one cheap thrill to the next. To perish means to lack direction. To perish means that you're a slave to your emotions. And it's to not know your purpose. It's to not know what your goals are. It's a life without faith and it's a life without freedom. In other words, to perish means that you are stuck. You're stuck. It's to wither. And so when God's word is ignored or simply just missing in our lives, not only is our ability to sort out right from wrong or, or wisdom from folly impaired, but we're also bound to fail and fall into our old same, same old sin patterns. Because when we miss the beauty of Jesus, then our sin is more beautiful than our Savior. And so that's what, that's what the, the Hebrew author is, is telling us it means to perish. And, and, and that's what this is talking about. All right. So with all that as kind of explanation, what does this mean for all of us today? And, and this is really, we're, we're starting to close down already. Um, so this week, I don't know if any of y'all heard this story, but one of our neighbors uh, decided to let their, their young child, their son, ride his bike to, um, to Twin Rivers. Big deal, right? All by himself, Twin Rivers. Um, well, long story short, uh, the child never got to Twin Rivers. And so the mom's freaking out, the dad's freaking out. They, they call the cops. They're looking for the kid all over the place. The police go and they comb the neighborhood. Well, the police uh, eventually found this, this child and uh, the police rode up to the child, and they asked him, while he's still on his bike, uh, they asked, are you lost? Are you lost? To which the kid said, well, I know where I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I mean, and I, I hate it that as a preacher, like, I hear things like that, and my first, re my first response needs to be, I'm so glad your child uh, was found. But my first response is sermon illustration, right? <laughs> right? Um, and, and look, everything's, I wouldn't use it if the child was never found. Right? The child was found. It's, everything's great. The child's back home. Um, but look, you know, if you really, if you aren't anchored to, um, or anchored by the prophetic vision of the gospel, if that is not anchoring your life, you may know where you are, but you do not know where you're going. You know, you may go where the world tells you to go, but you, you don't know. You don't know where you're, you're directionless. You're running from one version of the good life to the next. You're looking for love, meaning, purpose, acceptance in all the wrong places and going whichever way the wind of culture blows you like a tumbleweed. What are we going to cancel this week? What are we virtue signaling this week? And all the while, the world calls that life. You are living life. But the Word calls that perishing, a.k.a. All of our stories apart from Christ, you know, which explains really why so many of us, and maybe this is some of the younger generation, maybe the older generations too, so many who just feel hopeless. 
There's so many of us that if we were honest, we just want to scream. So what is, what's driving your life? You know, there are competing visions, there are competing voices, but this morning, this passage is an invitation to the only vision that, that truly leads to life. And it's the same vision that so captured the gospel writers that it affected everything about their, their being. Right? It's, it's that though they were needy sinners, in Jesus they were saved. That they didn't have to live life as an orphan of the cosmos. Right? They weren't just stardust. But because of the cross, they were the favored children of God. And that message of grace, like not, not, you better do better, you better do better and try harder. The message of grace, the message of Jesus, that Jesus, because of Jesus, God loves you just because he loves you. Change them from the inside out. And that message set the world on fire. And so I just got to ask, has that captured you? When uh, Richie Sessions became the senior pastor of Independent Prez in Memphis, um, he was you know, younger and relatively inexperienced, so he thought it'd be wise to get a, an older seasoned pastor to serve as a mentor to him. And he said on their first meeting, his first meeting with this pastor, the pastor asked him, all right, Richie, what is your deepest, darkest sin? Just go ahead and get it out there. Deepest, darkest sin. And I don't know if Richie was surprised by that question, but after uh, some thought, he, he shared his deep, dark sin, not knowing if he was about to lose his job. You know? And according to Richie, the mentor pastor just looked at him and said, Richie, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Westminster, that's it. Like, like that's the gospel. And that's our vision that's the vision that has to capture us to, to lead us for the rest of our lives. It's the reality that the gospel isn't just for everybody else out there who kind of has it together. But the gospel is for you. It is for you. And without it, you perish. So the single driving vision of a Christian is that though your sins and my sins are many, God's mercy is more. That, that in Jesus, God takes our deepest, darkest sins and sources of shame, and like, not just like your friend, but like the creator of the universe declares there's no condemnation on you. Stop living as an orphan. It says that, that if, the, if the Son has set you free, then you are like free. Free, indeed. And as that gets in us through the Spirit, instead of wandering aimlessly, um, we'll find that, that God lets us in on what He's doing in our souls. He lets us in on what God is doing in the universe, and then He calls us to participate in that. Uh, we'll find that we aren't slaves to our sin. We're not slaves to our circumstances, but God's promises anchor us through the hard, and they leave us with hope. And then, we are here's in conclusion what pastors say, right? They say that means nothing when a pastor says it. Um, in conclusion, and as mind-blowing as all that is, um, that's just the beginning. Like, that's just scratching the surface because as we read God's Word, we see that not only does He make a way to save us in Jesus, but He has also made a way, a, a vision of life, so to speak, for all of life. 
And, and by grace, we respond by being informed and influenced by that vision, the vision of the gospel in all of life. We see the world in gospel. You know, we, 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 in Scripture, we see things like you know, the sanctity of, of all of human life, and not just in utero, right? But like, like all of life, from conception to the grave. We, we find things like all of mankind, right? regardless of skin color, culture, ethnicity, political leaning, regardless of, of whatever, all of mankind was made in the image of God, and thus all mankind is worthy of dignity. Right? It, it affects how we do relationships, right? You know, we find that God's Word, it, you know, it, what does it tell us to follow Him as a child? And what does it look like to follow Jesus as a teen? What does it look like to grow up? You know, what does it mean to, to date for God's glory? You know, how, how does marriage work best? And we, we find things like, how should husbands treat their wives? You know, what does it mean to parent for God's glory? It's things like, what does it mean to be a, an actually like a good friend? What, is, what does that look like? What does it look like to rest when this world says, get on that treadmill? What does it look like to Sabbath? What does it mean to mourn with those who mourn and laugh with those who laugh? Like, what does it mean to celebrate? What does it look like to steward our resources? What does it look like to love others? What does it look like to die well? What does that look like? And that's what Solomon meant when he wrote, and look, I'm even going to use the King James because we've explained it now. This is what Solomon meant when he said, where there is no vision. We could say gospel vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, he that lives by the word, happy is he. In other words, blessed is the one who by the grace of God believes and follows God's word because those who do experience life. And so again, this morning, it's just an invitation for us all to, to come back from whatever our various visions of life have been and to come back and experience the happy life in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. It doesn't leave us in the dark. It doesn't leave us lost on some back road. Um, but it comes in as a light, uh, as this siren call that says, this is the way, follow the way, uh, you will be blessed. So Lord, by your Spirit, um, may you not only convict us of our sin, but Lord, that you would show us our Savior and show us that in him uh, we are called worthy, we are called clean, and may we respond to your grace by following your way. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.